Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome back. Isn't it good to be in the house of God together? All right, okay, a couple people. I don't know about you, but I just, I just needed to be in worship this week. Amen. Anybody else, like, I just needed to be in the house of the Lord. I felt like David this week. When can I go into your presence, Lord? I just want to be even just a doorkeeper in your house. God, whatever it takes, get me into your house. That's how I felt this week. So if you're here today and you're alive and you have a pulse, can I hear you? I just want to know that you're out there. Can you say amen? All right, good. Okay, good. Praise God. Well, how many of you guys enjoyed last week with my father uh, sharing for us? Actually, kind of a lot about um, parenting along the way. Did we enjoy last week with Randy's message? Talk to anybody? All right, good. I had just one major takeaway because I heard the rest before. Uh, No, Um, I have one major thing that stuck out to me that I had never heard him say before, which is the goal of all discipline when it comes to children is to eventually raise children who are self-disciplined. I thought that is, that's good. I need to remember that. I have a uh, almost three-year-old, so I really need to remember that. The goal of all discipline is to bring him into self-discipline. But what a great series that we've had. How many of you guys enjoyed this study we've been doing in the life of Jacob? You guys been diving in? Yeah, and, and kind of unashamedly, this hasn't been like a, a cursory glance into Jacob's life, has it? It's been like a deep dive. You know, sometimes we need to slow down. Sometimes we need to take some time with the word. And instead of just breezing through and kind of being like, all right, on to the next chapter, on to the next chapter, we need to do some deep study. And that's what we've been doing in the life of Jacob together on Sunday mornings. Our aim was to slow down a little bit and work through the story. And my hope is that it has challenged you and blessed you and encouraged you. Because that's what happens when we do take time with God's Word. It challenges us. It shapes us. Sometimes it prunes things in us that are not honoring to God. But we've been looking at Jacob... And part of the joy of looking at Jacob is that he's a guy who looks a lot like us. Anybody find that along the way with Jacob? Like, yeah, he actually had some tendencies that I see in me. I know that's one of my things that I've gotten from studying Jacob. He wants to have it his way all the time. He sort of doesn't listen. He kind of makes the same mistakes over and over again. And I'm like, man, this is hitting home for me. And we finally gotten to the point where Jacob known as the schemer, decides he's going to submit to God. And everything begins to change. God miraculously brings so much provision, protection, reconciliation for all the bridges that Jacob's been burning along the way. God does some amazing things in Jacob's life. Sets him free from guilt of the past. All the while, blessing him. Increasing him. But... That's not where Jacob's story ends. And today we're going to end our series studying Jacob. I want to share with you a message I'm simply just called Back to Blessing. So if you're a note taker, you can call this Back to Blessing. Jacob, this man who became known as Israel, has increased in wealth and blessing. And the people of Israel as well continue to grow, continue to increase under Jacob. God's faithfulness has been there with him all along. You know, if we've studied his story, we've seen that God has just been so good to Jacob, right? Regardless of whether he's earned it, because he didn't, 
God continues to be good to him. How many of you guys can say that's my story too? I mean, I haven't earned anything, but God's faithfulness is unstoppable in my life. You know, God's faithfulness has been there all along, but at this moment, there's something still yet to come for Jacob. There's a purpose that God wants to fulfill, not just in his life, but through his life as well. I want to look at the end of the story today and sort of wrap things up together. And I hope that we see a couple things this morning. One, that like Jacob, we're all human beings here, right? We all have our flaws. Some of us know them a little better than others, but we're all human beings here. So thank God that it's not our righteousness that matters, but his, amen? Second thing, I hope that we find together that the blessings of God are not things to be hoarded in our lives. The blessings of God are meant to be shared by us with others. Finally, I hope we see that when we trust him, when we submit to God and allow him to lead us, we know what the word tells us over and over again, that he's a good shepherd. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. We're going to get in the word today. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. As we study your word and as we see ourselves in the mirror, we're so thankful that it's not about us, it's all about you. So God, we come today to once again seek your face, to know you more and more, to surrender our lives to you. Say, let you, know, you can take the lead here, Lord. And as we do, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us, grow us, shape us to be more like your son. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I've shared so many times from up here how Laura and I have a, a tradition of reading books together. You know, and we're incredibly nerdy like that. We love to read at the same time, so we, we can't share a book. That's out of the question. We buy two books. She has to have hers and I have to have mine. Because if she loses my place, it's game over, right? You know, generally speaking, when we read stuff, I mean, we, we bounce around for all kinds of different books. But generally speaking, we're on the same page about books that we like and dislike. If we wrap one up and we didn't like it, like, eh, that wasn't very good. And we, we agree most of the time, most of the time. But there is one author that we vehemently disagree on. And many of you guys have only come across him back in high school, Charles Dickens, right? I happen to love Charles Dickens and Laura happens to hate Charles Dickens. And uh, in particular, I love his masterpiece, A Tale of Two Cities. Anybody like the book, A Tale of Two Cities? Anybody even know what I'm talking about? All right. Well, I'll explain a little bit. Don't worry. I, I don't know why Lara isn't a fan of sentences that take up whole paragraphs and sometimes whole pages. I just don't know why that doesn't really hit home for her. Uh, but in A Tale of Two Cities, there's an amazing character. And that's why I love it. Right? We, we tend to get invested in characters, right? There's a man by the name of Sidney Carton in the book, A Tale of Two Cities, and he's just a selfish scoundrel of a man. He's a selfish scoundrel who had so much skill, so much talent. He's considerable in his you know, abilities. And yet he, he basically, all of his plans just came to nothing in his life. And he basically is filled with like self-loathing. He's kind of a, a miserable character for most of the book. Like, oh, he, what is wrong with him, right? Sidney Carton. All his skill, all his talent didn't work out, and he's a little depressed. He's in a total funk when we meet him, and he stays in a total funk for most of the story. But towards the end, transformation begins in Sidney Carton, and he ends the book just so well. He's actually the character who brings the book to its conclusion because more and more danger happens in the story. 
more and more difficulty sets in, and he becomes, instead of focused on himself all the time, he becomes invested more and more in others, and he becomes more and more heroic. By chance, Sidney Carton is given an opportunity to be the hero, to sacrifice himself and save the day, and he does so with so much grace that it sort of undoes all the times reading along that you wish he could just pull himself together. He's arrived. And he reminds me so much of our Jacob character we've been studying in Genesis together. Jacob started off pretty terribly, right? From the womb, he's a schemer. From a womb, he's a deceiver. And he kind of never stops along the way. Most of the time, reading in Jacob's story, if you've been following along with us, you're just praying that something happens as like a redemptive moment because he's kind of hard to stomach along the way. Anybody else have trouble with Jacob's story or is it just me? Right? He, he kind of isn't a likable character most of the time. And you're just praying, can something change with Jacob? As the former president of Moody Bible Institute, a man by the name of William Clubbertson, he once said this, it's important to start things right, but it's imperative to end well. And it's important to start things well, but it's more important, it's imperative to end well. How many of you guys know the reality that we have as human beings where we like to start things? We like to start projects. Any of you guys have like a million unfinished projects at home? Yeah, because you like to start projects. That part gets you excited. Finishing is a different animal, right? We love to start right. Sometimes we limp to the finish like Jacob did. You know, the, the fresh starts excite us. It comes more naturally to us as human beings to start something with passion or adrenaline maybe. Maybe it's a new business, a new project, a dream that God's given you. But somewhere along the lines, when the real work sets in, we tend to be prone to distraction, boredom, disillusionment. The Old Testament is full of stories just like this. People who started really well didn't end so well, right? Can you think of some? Maybe Gideon comes to mind, started so well. Saul started so well, did not end very well. Samson, right? Solomon, you can go on and on in the Old Testament. The Bible is a story with a lot of people who started well and didn't end well. But what I've come to love about Jacob is he's sort of the opposite. He's sort of the opposite. He's a Sidney Carton type. He's absolutely pathetic for most of the story. But he ends so, so well. He's pretty much hopeless most of the time, cringeworthy at times, kind of like me without Jesus. Yet when he came to his senses... When God got him alone, did some work on him, when he finally learned how to submit to the Lord, everything changed, and he became an agent of blessing. Like Sidney Carton, Jacob rises to the occasion and finishes strong as he learns to trust and obey the Lord more and more. And that's a story that I can get behind. Despite the fact that early on I just want to close the book, I love the way Jacob ends the story. He finally steps into God's intentions for him as the one to carry on God's covenant promises, which is the whole focus of the Old Testament. You know, remember, Jacob is carrying on a legacy. You know, we have to remember that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The carriers of God's covenant promises. And in Genesis 12, and again in 15 and 17, God makes a covenant with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. 
And he says this, this is important. God shows up on the scene in Genesis 12, not because Abraham is worthy, but because God has a plan in mind. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And you know, again, we like the first part of that, right? I'm going to bless you. Okay, sign me up, God. I'm in for the blessings of God. Hey, if we weren't all about just the blessings of God, then prosperity gospel wouldn't be a thing in our country, right? But it is because we love the idea of God blessing me. It's that second part that trips us up a little bit. Am I right? I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you a tool in my hands to bring blessing into the lives of others. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. An important thing about the blessings of God is this. God's blessing is not something we're supposed to hoard for ourselves. The promises that God has maybe even made to you as an individual are not just things for you. God's blessings are not to be hoarded, but to be shared. And to this point in Jacob's story, he's received a ton of blessing. In this moment, God is just pouring out blessing after blessing, solving all his problems, growing him, increasing him in wealth and stature, growing his family. There's just blessing after blessing on Jacob's life. But he hasn't done anything with it yet. He's sitting on the blessing. This would become Israel's struggle as you read the Old Testament. They wanted God's blessing, but they weren't paying it forward. Honestly, if we're real with ourselves, sometimes this is our struggle too, isn't it? We love to receive God's blessings, but when it's time to release those things into others, that's where we get stuck sometimes. We don't have an issue jumping on the first part of that promise where we get to enjoy the favor and goodness of God, but when it's our responsibility, when God has expectation for us to be a blessing, share his favor, to love on our neighbors, to become an agent of his love into others' lives, that's where we sometimes get bogged down. But when God blesses us, when God pours out his best on our lives, he invites us to join him in blessing others. Not to selfishly hoard his goodness for ourselves, but to join him because how many of you guys know from the beginning, God has been on a mission to bless the nations, to reconnect with every human beating heart. He wants us to step into that mission with him. Amen? He wants to equip us. He wants to inspire us and unleash us as his ambassadors of reconciliation and blessing. Jacob was a flawed man. He had lots of flaws, character flaws, issues going on in his life. He was flawed, but he was called by God. He was flawed, but he was blessed by God so that he could become a blessing. And at the end of his life, the moment arrives for Jacob as well. The moment arrives, despite a lifetime of him looking out for number one, scheming to get to the top, he's finally submitted to God, and he's ready to share the favor of God with others. I want us to look at the end of the story and see how this comes to pass in Jacob's life together. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37? We're going to read the quick transition moment here. Genesis chapter 37 starts like this. Starts with Jacob in blessing. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. 
Then the transition. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpha. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Let's just pause. Let's just stop right there. This is a transition moment. We sort of pause for a second on Jacob. Finally, he seems like he's at peace, right? He settled again in the land of his fathers. Things are going great for Jacob. We've been waiting for this moment for Jacob. And it would seem that we just jump over to a far less controversial character, a far more likable guy by the name of Joseph. How many of you guys love Joseph's story? I love Joseph's story. I said at the beginning of the series, most of the time reading Genesis, I would stop after Abraham and skip Isaac and Jacob and be like, I don't care about the boring one and the jerk. I want more of Joseph types. And just go straight for Joseph because it's way, way more fun to read. It's a nice story, Joseph's story. A beautiful story of redemption. And if you haven't read it, check out Genesis 37 to 50. It's an amazing story. But I want to just give you the cliff notes really quick of what goes down with Joseph because it's important for what we've been studying. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He was his favorite son. Where have we seen that before? Right? If you've been following along with us, you've seen. It doesn't work out well when mom and dad play favorites with their kids. Maybe you've experienced it in your life, right? Every, every child at some point looks at their parents and accuses them. That's because he's your favorite, right? It doesn't work out well. You think that Jacob would have learned his lesson because he was mom's favorite, and it bore all kinds of pain in his life. It created so many problems, but he decides he's going to have a favorite son. And the same thing happens again that happened in Jacob's life a bunch of sibling rivalry. These stories just keep coming back and back again. Nobody learns in the book of Genesis. That's what you need to know. You know, the big brothers get ticked off about their little brother who gets a fancy coat and a bunch of favor. They're not happy about their little brother. And then Joseph starts having these dreams from God. These dreams. Where did he get that from? Right? See, before Joseph was the dreamer, Jacob was a dreamer. Jacob was spoken to by God in dreams. It's almost like God knows the patterns that we have to play favorites, to have rivalries with each other, and he wants to use all these things to bring about his purposes. I don't know. That seems to be what's going on here. But Joseph has dreams, and his dreams land him in hot water because his dreams are all about how his brothers will someday bow down to him. Any older brothers in the room? Older brothers in the room? Yeah, What would you do if your brother came to you and said, yeah, God told me you're going to be my slave? I don't think that would go well. I'm a younger brother. I think I've said things like that to my two older brothers, and it didn't end well. I got thrown into a wall, okay? It wasn't good. That's not a good way to win friends and influence people, as the book's title goes, right? So his brothers decide to kill him. It's a dark book at times. But then they think better of it. They decide, let's get some money out of him. And they sell him into slavery to a passing caravan. He's taken to Egypt where he is lied about, forgotten about, and lives in some pretty difficult times for 13 years. 13 years of his life. Until one day, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, has a dream and needs to know what it means. And he hears about this guy wallowing away in prison who can interpret dreams. And God, in this moment, elevates Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt, 
gives Joseph so much wisdom that Joseph saves the entire ancient world from a severe famine and is reunited with his family once more. That's the short version of Joseph's story. It's a beautiful story. But as much as I love Joseph, as I've been reading through Genesis slowly and carefully, I've realized that all the significance of Joseph's story is wrapped up in what's going on with Jacob. All the significance is wrapped up in the covenant moving forward through Jacob's family called Israel. It's like a detour that explains how we get to the next stage. Professor John Golden Gay from Fuller, when teaching on Joseph, says this, I've called it often the Joseph story, but in reality, this is actually the Jacob story continued. In the West, we get especially interested in what happens to individuals like Joseph. Genesis reckons that the broader drama of God's purposes coming to pass is also important. What is he saying? There's something bigger that happens as all these stories converge and come to an end in Genesis. There's something bigger than any character. The purposes of God, the covenant God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob going forward God's intention to see the world reunited with himself is what the story is all about. So Joseph's story, this detour we take on the grand stage of the Bible, it serves two purposes for us in this moment. The first thing is this. It shows us how Israel gets to Egypt. Pretty practical. What do we think about when we think about the Old Testament most of the time? Egypt, the Exodus, Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner. That's what we think about, right? Oh, come on. I might be young, but I'm allowed to know some of the old classic movies, despite the fact that they're all four hours long for some reason, like Lawrence of Arabia and Gone with the Wind. Right? We get stuck when we think about Israel in the Old Testament. So many times we're thinking about the plagues, Pharaoh, the Exodus, you know? But what do we think about when we think about Egypt? What comes to mind when we think about Israel and Egypt? Slavery? Oppression? wrongdoing, terrible, terrible part of the story of God's people. But what if I told you that's not the only thing that Egypt represents in the Word of God? You know, Egypt actually takes on different meanings at different times for God's people. But the very first thing that we see about Egypt is that it's a place of God's blessing and provision for God's people, which doesn't really jive with our idea in Charlton Heston. Again, Dr. John Goldengay says this, for Israelites listening to this part of the story, Egypt was chiefly a place of oppression and bondage, yet it starts off as a place of refuge, of rescue, and growth for God's people. You know, this is not in my notes, but maybe you feel like you've been in Egypt for a while. Maybe you've been thinking about it chiefly as just a place of oppression. God, get me out of here. Maybe God wants to show you how it's actually going to be the place where he intervenes in your story and elevates you out of that pit and that prison like Joseph and brings you into his blessing. Maybe you need to just spend some time with God and say, Lord, change my vision here. Help me to see what you see. Help me to focus more on your purposes and your promises in my life and not so much on all the blessings that I just want to live in and dwell in and not hoard for myself. Maybe that's something that's going on behind the scenes. And again, in Jesus' story, because all of this echoes forward and we can't really fully know the story of Jesus unless we get into this stuff. Jesus was led to Egypt as a place of refuge. 
when Herod decided to pull a pharaoh and kill all the two-year-old and younger baby boys in the kingdom trying to kill Jesus. They fled to Egypt. They sought refuge, and they found God's provision there. Jesus himself. Egypt was a part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident. A lot of times we think of God's plans and we can only think of the good stuff. But sometimes God takes us to Egypt and gives us opportunity to rise up in the midst of difficulty. Egypt was part of God's plan. It was the moment that Jacob had been born for. After years of him chasing for more, 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 striving for all that he can get, looking out for number one, Jacob had settled down in dad's backyard, we're told, in Genesis 37. Things were quiet and easy and at peace for Jacob. It's not a very Jacob thing to do. He had finally settled in and allowed God to lead. And his story could have ended there, like a storybook ending. He rode off into the sunset, lived happily ever after. Wow, isn't it great? He was finally blessed in the end. But God had a destiny and a calling for him to step into, and he hadn't quite got there yet. See, there was a famine across the whole world, and Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to find food. And who do they encounter in Egypt but their younger brother? Unknowingly, they bow down to him and fulfill his dream. And he says, is my father still alive? Is my father still alive? I want you to go get him and bring him here where he can be blessed. In Genesis 46, God gives Jacob a final dream. And in that dream, he says, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I will be with you. And in Egypt, I will make you into a great nation. In Egypt, you will experience the blessings that you haven't yet begun to dream of. In Egypt, I will make you a blessing. I will make you prosperous. So through Joseph, the first purpose of Joseph's detour is to bring us to Egypt. That's the first reason. And the second reason isn't just so we see Jacob blessed and provided for, but he becomes a blessing in Egypt, both directly and indirectly. He becomes a blessing through the story of his son, Joseph. Joseph, the naive dreamer, ends up becoming a world changer. As the whole world is plunged into famine, nobody's got food. But God prepared Joseph for this moment, gave him wisdom to stockpile and provide. And Jake, or Joseph, he feeds the whole world in this moment. He feeds the world. So through Joseph, Jacob becomes a blessing to the nations, as the covenant said, Genesis 41.57 tells us this, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. He feeds the world. And when Jacob arrives, we see the completion of his transformation. I want to read to you the end of the story here in Genesis chapter 47. Jo Jacob arrives in Egypt and he blesses Pharaoh. Starting in verse 1, it says this, then Joseph went in to see Pharaoh and told him, My father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. They've come with all their flocks and herds and possessions, and they're now in the region of Goshen. Joseph took five of his brothers with him and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? They replied, We, your servants, are shepherds, just like our ancestors. We've come to live here in Egypt for a while for there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine is very severe there. So please, we pr request permission to live in the region of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
Now that your fathers and father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best of the land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. And if any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. And then Joseph brings his father, Jacob, and presents him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I've traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt, the region of Ramesses, to his father and his brothers, and he settled them there, just as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided food for his father and his brothers in amounts appropriate to the number of their dependents, including the smallest children. What's happening at the end of Jacob's story? He's being blessed, and he's becoming a blessing. The covenant is finally coming to pass in his life. The best of the land of Egypt is given to Israel in this moment. The entire family finds unbelievable favor in a time where they went down to Egypt just hoping to get a little bit of food. They find that God has prepared this moment for them. But notice what is repeated in this passage twice. When Jacob arrives, he directly blesses Pharaoh. Not once, but twice. The man who was soaking up all the blessing from everyone around him The man who was always looking out for number one never gave a second thought to another person. Didn't matter whose neck he had to step on to get to the top. God has finally transformed him fully and he chooses and becomes an agent of blessing finally. In this moment, the man called Israel and the people that bear his name begin their journey to fulfill the covenant of God and bless the whole world. Jacob has finally arrived. Blessed to be a blessing. And that covenant carries on through all of Scripture until finally it finds its fullness in Jesus Christ, who didn't just meet a physical need or a temporary hunger in us, but brought true salvation for every single person on earth. Every nation, tribe, and tongue has been blessed by Jesus. And here at the end of Jacob's story, Jacob gets back to blessing others. He finishes strong in the destiny that God has called him to. So I want to ask, what have we seen as we've been looking at Jacob? What has stuck out to you? You know, why is this story so important to the rest of Scripture? Because it echoes through time and time again, not just all the way to Jesus, but beyond. And it echoes in our lives as well. Why is this story so important and repeated all throughout Scripture? First thing that we see when we look at Jacob is very simple. He is a very human character in the story. He's got all sorts of problems. He is flawed, but he is chosen and loved by God. And that's good news for you and me. Amen? You know, I don't know where you sit or how much you know of your own difficulties and your own struggles and your own flaws, but I know myself. I know that I've got more problems than I like to share. And I'm just so thankful that my righteousness isn't dependent on me. It's dependent on Jesus. Amen. And we began this study looking at the fact that God knows every single one of us before we take our first breath. 
As Psalm 139 reminds us, he knitted us together in our mother's womb and all the days of our life were known by him before we ever took a single breath. He knows us better than we know ourselves. All our flaws, all of our difficulties, all the the drama that comes into our lives from time to time. And from the womb, God chose us. He chose us like Jacob, despite our shortcomings, because he's faithful and he's good enough and he can carry us through. Not because of our righteousness, which is like filthy rags, but because his righteousness is the one that counts. Amen? Jacob rises to become Israel, and he begins to be a blessing, finally, to others. And he's not confused. What I love about Jacob, he isn't confused about where the blessing comes from. You know, as he begins to to bless others, as his son begins to change the world, he doesn't think it's his doing along the way. He's not confused at all. He knows that he has not been worthy for a second. Just read what he begins to say towards the end of his life. He begins to recognize I've screwed up time and time again, but thank God that he's not me. Thank God that he is forever faithful. He knows that he hasn't been worthy, but that God's faithfulness knows no bounds. And the Bible tells us our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our attempts to, you know, make everything better in our lives just pales in comparison to what God can do in an instant with us. God's desires for us exceed our wildest imaginations to bless us and to make us a blessing. I love one of the last things that Jacob ever says. At the very end of his life, he's passing on blessing to the next generation. It's his moment to bless his children and grandchildren. And he says this as he's blessing Joseph's two sons in Genesis chapter 48 and verse 15. Catch this. He says, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, The God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this very day. May he be the one to bless you. Jacob's not confused for a second. He's not asking, may you just inherit the stuff I've stockpiled. He's like, God, may God be the one to follow you all the days of your life. Because I know he did it with me. And I know I didn't deserve it for a second. But God has been my shepherd, he says. See, you thought David came up with this. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? This amazing image of God's faithful, steady hand nearby to steer us and guide us and build us into who he wants us to be. It's all over scripture. But before Paul picks up the theme, the Lord is my shepherd, before Jesus claimed, I am the good shepherd, before David sung about it, Jacob shows us this part of God's character. His steadfastness and faithfulness. And he shows us not only in his language here, but in the way his whole life plays out. Jacob knows I'm like a sheep. I'm far from perfect. I get it wrong all the time. I'm stubborn and bullheaded. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord has pursued me. The Lord has led me. The Lord has called me by name and knows everything about me. I love this because so many times in Jacob's story, he's been saying things like, That's the God of my grandfather. That's the fearsome God of my father, Isaac. But he hasn't quite claimed God as his personal God yet until this moment where he says, the Lord has been my shepherd all the days of my life 
I see it now clearly. At every turn, when I couldn't get out of my own way, God was there. His rod and his staff kept me in line. He no longer calls God, grandpa's God or dad's God, but my God. He steps into a personal relationship and brags about it. He said, I am submitted to him like a sheep to a shepherd. And I don't know about you, but I have found looking at Jacob that he is a fantastic mirror for me to stare into. The whole of the word of God is like a mirror that we can look into and see ourselves more clearly. And I find as I look at Jacob, he is a perfect mirror for me because he is so far from perfect and so am I. I know my own humanity more than I care to share. But in my weaknesses, I see the strong hand of God with me. I see his purposes coming to pass, not because of my righteousness, which is a complete joke. I see his purposes coming to pass because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord never leaves me nor forsakes me. He is faithful and true. He is not going anywhere. Our God is a good shepherd indeed. Amen. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. You could just insert the words, like Jacob. We're all prone to this. We're all informed by our culture. It's all about you. We all buy into that idea from time to time. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But praise God for Jesus. The Lord has laid on him our iniquities. He has borne our sin and our shame as we've sung about this morning. He's been a good shepherd to us that lays down his life for his sheep. We're all Jacob. Along the way, we realize that. We're all prone to this attitude, my way or the highway. We're all constantly programmed to strive for more, more, more and never be satisfied. And we all deserve some retribution for the bridges we burned along the way. We all deserve not the best from God for some of the stuff that we've pulled along the way. But our righteousness is not what counts. God's righteousness is what counts. God's faithfulness is what makes all the difference in our lives. Doing things our own way like Jacob, it leads to the same place it led him and Joseph and so many more stories we read in the Bible. Alone, scared and disillusioned. But our good shepherd is the one who leaves the 99 to come after us when we're in that place. Amen? He's the one who won't ever stop pursuing us and goes after every wayward one, despite the fact that we are all like sheep. And just as he did with Jacob, God is continuously seeking us out, blessing us, and he wants to make us a blessing. Not because of our merits, but because of his faithfulness. So as we bring our study of Jacob to a close, I want to remind us that what makes all the difference is what God himself kept saying to Jacob over and over again. I will be with you. I will be with you. It brings the words of Isaiah in chapter 43 to mind, which we often quote, as Isaiah prophesies to the people who bore his name, Israel. He says, Hear, O Jacob, hear, O Israel, the word of the Lord. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, I'll be right by your side. And that's still the only thing we need to hear. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. God's steadfast, faithful, unchanging love will follow you and me all the days of our lives. And that's what we celebrate. That's what Jacob shows us. 
That's why he was able to finally turn the corner and rest in God's blessings and become a blessing. And I think you might be here today and God might want to just say the same thing to you. I don't know what everybody's going through today. I know there's some difficult moments happening. God wants you to hear from his heart today. I'm right with you. I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You have my full attention. God wants to say the same thing to you, maybe because you feel unworthy. Like Jacob, you maybe have made your mistakes along the way, but he promises, just come to me. Let me be your shepherd. Follow my lead. Submit to my leading, and I will make all the difference in your life as well. When the fullness of God's promise came on the scene in Jesus Christ, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. He represented the fullness of God's intention to be right with you in the fire, right with you when things get out of hand in your life. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus declares to us. And when he went back to the Father and ascended at the end of his ministry time on earth, his final words to us were simply this, I am with you always. I'm going to be with you. I'm right by your side. Every one of us knows how much we're Jacob. Every one of us is somewhere on the journey that Jacob went on over the course of these chapters. We all have those tendencies to take matters into our own hands. Like Jacob, we often try to scheme and steal our way into the blessings that God just wants to freely bless us with anyway and exceed in our lives. But the good news for us today is this. If God can take Jacob with all his faults and flaws and make him into a carrier of blessing for the entire world, he can do the same thing with you and me. In fact, he intends to do the same thing with you and me. He wants to pour out so much blessing in your life that you can't contain it all. And you begin to pour over into your neighbors and your family members. That's his purpose in your life. He can do the same thing with us. Amen? If we will learn to trust him, surrender, allow him to be the one who brings blessing into our lives, follow him, he'll lead us back into blessing and he will make us a blessing to others. So I want to ask you today as we close, where are you in Jacob's story? Where are you on the journey today? Maybe you find yourself a lot like Jacob at the beginning, kind of can't get out of your own way. You seem to be stuck in those same patterns of sin, burning bridges. Maybe, maybe you haven't yet gotten to that place where you got alone with God and said, okay, you have my life. You can lead the way. Maybe you haven't ever submitted to God's leading. And maybe today is a very important moment for you where you finally can realize that like Jacob, you know, no matter what you can gain for yourself, no matter what doing it all your way can get for you, it pales in comparison. God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above anything you could ask or think in your life. And maybe today can be the day that you finally say, okay, Lord, you take the reins. You take the reins of my life. Maybe that's the moment in Jacob's life you find yourself in today. Maybe you're here today and you've gotten to that point. You've said, Lord, you can have my life. You can take over. You can have the reins. I trust you. And you've experienced some of God's blessing. But maybe you've been sitting on it. Maybe you haven't yet stepped into 
that second part of God's covenant promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Maybe you just want to hoard all those good things of God and you haven't stepped into what he's called all of us to, to be a blessing to others, to love our neighbors, to shine our light into a dark world that desperately needs it. Maybe that's where you're at today. And maybe you're in an Egypt moment. And you're wondering, God, what do I do with this? And God's going, this is the moment where I want you to turn your focus. I want you to rise to the occasion. I want you to begin to release blessing into others. And as you empty that cup, watch as it never runs out because I will pour so much blessing into your life. You can't contain it. Maybe you're in that kind of moment. I want to invite you today, whatever point in the story you find yourself at, God's word to you is exactly the same. I'm with you. I will be with you. I want to shepherd you through this moment. I want to show you my desires for you and my faithfulness to you. And I want to lead you to a place you can't even imagine, a place of so much blessing. As we close today, I want us to stand. I simply want us to read perhaps the most famous passage in all of Scripture together. It'll be up on the screen. I want us to read it out loud. And Before we do, I want to encourage you to just be mulling over in your mind all the story we've spent the last seven weeks on as we read Psalm 23 together. And maybe God will call a part of this to your mind in a fresh way. Let's read it together. Can we put it up on the screen? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for what you've been doing in us. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us far away from you, but you are such a good shepherd. You leave the 99 to come after every single wayward one of us. You chase us down again and again with your incredible love. And Lord, wherever we're at in the story today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts one more time because there is nothing like being in the house of the Lord, like Jacob called it Bethel, when he first saw how amazing and incredible your love is. And like David would later pray, I just want to be in your house. Surely goodness and love will follow each and every one of us because you will not relent until you have our hearts, until you've captured us and enraptured us in your incredible grace. Lord, I pray that you would meet with every single one of us today and you would pour out your blessings on us, that you would show us your undying favor and desires for us, and that we would be so overwhelmed by your love that we would submit finally 
that all of our plans we would bring to you and say, you know what, Lord, I've tried it my own way, but I want to bow the knee to you. I want to give you the reins. I submit to you today. I surrender to you today. I give you leadership. I invite you, come and be my shepherd. You're not God far off. You're God that is near to me. You are Emmanuel, God with me in this moment. And as I do, I trust that you are leading. I trust that every shaping moment along the way is going to bring me deeper into your heart and your purposes. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it feels like I'm gone to Egypt and I'm in a place where it's difficult, I know you will be with me in the fire. You will be with me when the rivers and the floods are arriving and you will help me to stand secure because you are forever faithful. You are the one who is faithful and true and I trust in you and I choose to be a blessing today. Even when I feel like I don't have much to give, Lord, I know that the five loaves and two fish of my life can feed the nations in your hands because you are the God who multiplies. You are the God who meets me where I am. Weak and poor, your strength is made perfect in me. And God, I trust you to lead me like never before. So God, come meet us in this moment, wherever we are, and raise us to new life with you because you came, you fulfilled this covenant, and you gave us a new one in your blood that no matter what we've done, no matter how many bridges we burned along the way, you overcame for us and you have set us free from guilt and shame and fear and everything of the enemy that plans to hold us back. So Lord, take us as your people. We are still your people. We are blessed to be a blessing. Move us into a season where we don't look inwardly, we don't sit on your blessings or hoard it, but we release it into every life that we meet, in the grocery store, on the road, whatever it is, Lord. We seek opportunities and divine appointments to say, you know what? God has blessed me exceedingly, abundantly above what I can ask or think. So even when I feel down and I don't feel like it, I choose to enter into the mission and the purposes of God. I choose to be an ambassador of his love and reconciliation. I choose to love on my neighbors. I choose to go after the one when they seem like they don't have a friend in the world and throw my arms around them and draw them back to God's purposes because I know what he's done with me. God, make us your people. We submit ourselves into your hands today. Make us a blessing. Help us to focus on others. And God, make us like Jacob. Help us to end well. We all know our beginnings, and so do you. You know everything about us. You know how we're wired. You know the ways that we fall short of your glory. But you're faithful. And you're greater than our hearts. You're greater than our sins. You have overcome. Our righteousness is as filthy rags but you are faithful. We place our whole selves in your hands today. We honor you and we thank you that you never leave us. We honor you today. We pray that you would bless each and every person as they leave this place. The Jacob story would truly be their story that they would get brighter and brighter and brighter until the dawning of your new kingdom here. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people. Worship. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.